uncertainty, one truth stands. God exists and is present in your life. As you trust Him, anxieties fade. God is guiding you. He has led you to this place, and He will lead you on. The Bible teaches that those who follow Christ shall live by faith. Join us in this series to unlock the power of trust, embrace the benefits of trusting God, and watch your faith grow. Your journey into trust begins. everybody. Thank you for being with us today. All of you who are joining us online, we welcome you to Sugar Creek Baptist Church today. And for everyone at Richmond Rosenberg, at Missouri City, Sugarland, we're so grateful that God has brought us together. This is Aloha Sunday. So here it is. This is my only Hawaiian shirt. I bought it for this day. You'll probably never, ever see it again. And what I got to say about Sugar Creek is no other church has been able to get me out of my comfort zone more than this church. And that is a good thing. Every Sunday morning, on my way to first service at our service at eight o'clock, on my way to the church, I stop by my McDonald's and I get my Diet Coke. Well, at my McDonald's, Every employee knows who I am and they know my name and they know I'm a pastor. And um, I've gotten to know a bunch of them and be able to tell them about God. So anyway, I go to McDonald's, I go to the uh, drive-through and uh, I order my Diet Coke. I recognize Tiffany's voice and I say, hi, Tiffany, I am here to get my Diet Coke. And she said, Pastor Mark, it's so good to have you back. And I got it ready for you right here. So when I got up to the window to get my Diet Coke, she, she knows I'm a pastor and at this church and she looked at my shirt and said, what is that? <laughs> and I said, people are gonna be saying that all day long. I read a story about a woman, 40 years old, who had open heart surgery. And I gotta tell you, the whole open heart surgery thing is just a wonder. It is, it, it is an amazing feat of uh, health science and I am so grateful for it. It is an amazing thing. So this woman went in to get open heart surgery. Now I'm not pretending to you that I can describe actually everything that happens with it. So I'm gonna give a little try about some description. And those of you who are in um, medicine are going to probably roll your eyes. I'm probably gonna mess it up a little bit, but that's okay. What happens is, is they cut all the way down your chest. They deal with your sternum and sternum and they go in all the way to the heart. Now, what they, they, they see the heart beating and now what they do is that they put a tube in the compartment, the section that the blood comes in and they, I think, connect it to the artery that's coming in. So the blood flows through that area and through that tube and goes to a machine that is actually functioning as an artificial heart. And the blood goes through and this machine infuses oxygen inside your blood and then it comes out another tube and goes into the 
other compartment that is in your, the chamber that's in your heart and connects it to the artery and it goes and takes care of the rest of your body. Pretty cool. And now when that happens, the heart stops beating. And when it stops beating, it calms down. And now the surgeon can fix every little part that's wrong in your heart and get it all done. And when he gets it all finished or she gets it all finished, they take the tubes out and the flow of your heart resumes to normal. Your heart, as soon as that warm blood comes in to that uh, compartment, all of a sudden your heart begins to beat again and it's back to the way you're used to. So that is the idea of open heart surgery. It is an amazing thing. Except that's not what happened to the 40-year-old woman who had open-heart surgery. When they reconnected, as surgery's done, reconnected, her heart did not start back. Now, there's a list of things they go through if that kind of thing happens, because I'm sure it happens uh, on occasions. And so they, he went, or she, the surgeon went through all those things, and her heart still did not start beating. The surgeon then leans over and whispers in her ear, the, the patient's ear, Mary, I am the doctor. I have finished the surgery and your heart is perfect. I need you to tell your heart to start beating again. And within two seconds, her heart started to beat. And I'm mystified by this whole thing. She, she is under sedation and he is talking to her and she has to be receiving. But how do you make your heart beat? That's not something that we usually do. I wake up in the morning and I, I think it'd be better if my heart started beating. Heart beat. No, we don't do that. How do you do it? I don't know, maybe it's just a thought and your brain then sends the message to the heart and says, it's time. But her heart started beating by her own will. Now, I tell you the story because some of you have been through a ton. You've been through things you did not want to go through. You had your life all together and what that life was going to be like and there's been one detour after another. One problem after another, one discouragement after another. And for some in this room, you are so broken hearted by how things are turning out. that you just won't quit. But this morning, God is whispering in your ear, I am God and I made you and I love you and I am directing your steps and I will take you through this to get where you belong and what you need and I want you to trust me. It is time for you to tell your heart to start beating again. It is time to tell your heart to start believing again. 
And that's what I want to talk to you about today. We're in a series entitled Trust Issues, and we all have them. No matter who we are, all of us are in the process of learning how to trust God better and more complete. And we have issues about the timing of God and the way of God and and all of that. And we struggle with it. How do I really trust God? But in the series of trust issues, we're wanting to learn how to trust God in real life. And so we're trying to be as practical. Take the word of God, what he teaches us about trusting him, and be as practical as we can in the process. When you come to know that God really is there and he really does care for you and he knows what's going on in your life and he is ordering your steps, he is with you and at times he's carrying you, you can calm down and not try to force something to happen. Not worry sick about your children and and angry about the timing in your life. You can calm down and know that God's ways are oftentimes different from our ways, but God's ways are better. And you can learn to trust him when the path has changed. There is one verse of scripture that all of the messages in this series are really based on. It's the idea of Romans chapter 1 verse 17 where it says the just and the just in the Bible are those who know Christ as Savior. We've been justified before God. The just shall live by faith. This was God's intention all along that you and I live our life by faith. So how do you trust God? Well, there's some couple of principles that I want to bring to your attention from the book of Hebrews chapter 11. And the first one is simply this, trust takes God seriously. And notice what he says in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse six, without faith, it's impossible to please God. For he or she who comes to God must believe he is. That's the fill in the blank. That must believe he is, and he is a rewarder of those who earnestly, diligently seek him. When I have read some commentaries, not all of them, but some commentaries as we were, as I was preparing this message, and, and I even saw some translations that translate this verse this way, and commentators who say this way, That he or she that comes to God must believe that God exists. It says he is, must believe he exists. And I think to myself, well, of course we're to believe that God exists, but it's got to be more than that. Satan knows God exists. It's deeper than believing that there is a God. There is something else that's involved in this when it says to believe that he is. I think there is an Old Testament story that really helps us with this. You remember the story of Moses and the burning bush? Here is Moses and nothing has worked out in his life. It has been so much a failure, it's unbelievable. And now he lives on the backside of nowhere 
just living out his days, tending sheep, and it's over. And all of a sudden, there is this bush that spontaneously catches on fire. And so it catches his attention. He looks at it and he keeps looking at it because you know that when a bush catches on fire, it flames out. But this kept going and going and going and going. And it did not stop. It didn't slow down. And Moses was mesmerized by this. He went closer to the bush to see what what is going on here. And suddenly he hears the voice of God saying, Moses, I am picking you to be the deliverer of my people who are in slavery in Egypt. And Moses said, not me. I can't even speak publicly. I can't lead. I don't have any ability. No, not me. And God said, it is you. Moses said, well, if I even went, if I even said, I'm coming to deliver you, they're going to ask me, who do you think you are? And who has sent you to do this? And I'll say to them, God sent me. And they'll say, what is this God's name? What would I even say to them? And God said, tell them, I am who I am. Tell them that I am has sent you. Now, when we hear that in English, especially the first time, it's like, what? That doesn't translate that well in English for us, but it did in Hebrew because that phrase I am is actually Yahweh. God was saying, I was, I, the, the tense of the verb, I was, I am, I always will be. And what God was saying in the name was that I am the God who encompasses everything. So when you take that idea of I am, and you come to Hebrews chapter 11, verse six, and he or she who comes to God must believe that he is, it's the same idea. It's the same concept. What God is saying, what Hebrews chapter 11, verse six is saying, you must come to believe that God is who God says he is. Hebrews eleven six means he or she that comes to God must believe that God is who God is. We must accept God for what he has told us he is and then act on it. I think it's so important today. And the reason is this. Many people want God to be part of who he is, but they don't want the other part. We're all about love of God but we're not about holiness of God. Don't tell us about the holiness. We're all about the justice, but we're not about the judgment. There's parts of God. Yes, I want that God, but there's parts of God I don't want to know anything about. But God is saying this. If you're going to learn how to trust me, you have to take the whole me, not the part of me. You have to believe I am all that I am and act upon that. Orville and 
and uh, Wilbur Wright were the two guys who were the first to fly. And it was in uh, December the 17th of 1903. And they built what we would look at now, you know, sort of a little stripped down miniature car with a propeller and wings. And they took off and they got enough uh, speed up that the lift happened for them and they flew. Didn't fly very far, but they flew. Did you know that there were scientists for decades before, decades before there were scientists and mathematicians who, and philosophers who believed that one day a person would fly and there was even a math equation of how to fly, of how to build something to fly. It was an equation and, and there were uh, scientists who were going around and, and writing articles and, there, and, and, and lecturing and explaining about the whole idea of flying, but none of them ever flew. Only two guys who acted on it flew. And there is a whole bunch of Christians today. Oh, yeah, I believe in God. Oh, yeah, I believe God can do miracles. Oh, yeah, I believe that God can, can, do, can do things for me. But never trust him. Never act by faith in trusting God for the impossible. But here's what God is saying. If you're going to learn to have faith, you're gonna to learn to have trust, you gotta be willing to take the whole of me seriously and act on it. There's a second part that he gives to us in Hebrews chapter 11. He says, you also trust takes a promise of God seriously. He gives to us a definition of faith in Hebrews chapter 11, verse one, and we know it's a definition because twice he says faith is. So now he's defining it. And it is the strangest definition, but actually it's the deepest definition. And notice what he says. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. That is not easy to explain, but it's two ideas that come together. And so let's look at them individually. The first one is this idea, faith is the assurance of things hoped for. I've mentioned to you several times along the path of these 21 years together that the word hope is a different word for us in the 21st century than it was in first century. In the 21st century in English, we use the word hope to mean hope so. I hope the Astros win this afternoon. Is there an amen anywhere in the room? Okay, I, 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 I thought so. So we hope, but here is what we're really saying. I'm not sure. I mean, they win a lot, but they also lose some. I don't know what it's gonna be, but I'm hoping they'll win this afternoon. That's how we use the word hope. But in the New Testament time, it was not hope so, it was no so. Because in the Bible, the word hope is always attached to a promise of God. It's a no-so. The word hope in the Bible means something God has promised to come to pass. And here's what he's saying in this verse. When we trust in a promise of God, we're guaranteed that it will happen. You can take this to the bank. When you take a promise that God has made you and you believe it and act on it, it's gonna to happen to you. And that's what he's saying in the per first part of the de definition of faith. 
He didn't tell us when, he doesn't tell us how, but it is yours because of your faith in what God promised. Now look at the second phrase. And faith is the conviction of things not seen. A little confusing in English. What it is saying is this. Faith is seeing something God has promised in advance before it happens. It's the ability. God's made you a promise. And it's the ability to see it even before it arrives. 48 years ago, there were a group of people that were in a Bible study and they didn't have a place to meet. And so there was a bank nearby and the bank had an empty room and someone knew people that worked in the bank. And so they talked to them and said, could we use that extra room you don't use for a Bible study uh, on, on a weekly basis? And they said, yes. And so they started gathering in that room at a bank and began to have a Bible study together, began to pray together. And in the midst of it, there was a sense in all of them that God was telling them he wanted them to start a church and that he made a promise to them that he would bless that church. He would bless them in their obedience to starting that church. Those people started a church called Sugar Creek Baptist Church. Now, before you start something like that. See, it's hard to do it. It takes a lot of money. It takes a lot of time. It takes a lot of effort and a lot of attention and there are ups and downs and there's discouragement. It's never going to happen. And other times, wow, we are in the middle of a revival of God among us. And all of that is a part of a church. And they had to be able to see that church before they could have ever acted on it. And that's what he's saying here. Faith is the ability to see in advance, before it comes, what God has promised you and to reach out and grab it. Biblical trust is not presumption. In other words, we can't name it and claim it. You can't do that. You can't imagine, okay, God, I'm gonna trust you to do this and you decide what the, this is. God is under no obligation. Faith is not presumption. It's not walking on thin ice. It's not going out on a limb. It's not doing something crazy. It is not wishful thinking. It's not even positive thinking. Trust is believing in a promise that God has made to you. When you believe in a promise God has made and you act on that promise, your faith, your trust guarantees, that's Hebrews 11 verse one, guarantees that you will have it. I'm telling you, this is pretty exciting because there is such a mystery about trust. I mean, how do I get this whole thing together? God says, take one of my promises and apply it to your life and act on it. And I will bless you. That's really what he is saying in his word. I don't know how many promises are in the Bible. I looked that up and I saw people say that there are hundreds of promises in the Bible. And I saw some people say there are thousands of promises in the Bible. 
And I don't know how many promises there are, but here's what I do know. Second Corinthians chapter one, verse 20 says, no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes for you in Christ. Last spring, we were going through a series on identity. Who am I? In Ephesians chapter one, and we kept seeing the phrase in Christ, in Christ, in Christ, in Christ. And I, I said to you, this is a big deal. This, these two words, don't just walk over them. In Christ means that I have accepted Jesus as my savior. I love him and I have committed myself to Christ. And now I am in Christ and Christ is in me. That's what in Christ means. And here's what he says. If you know Jesus as your savior, you've committed your heart to him. You love him. All the promises of God are yes, are yes for you. That is an astounding statement, are yes for you. Hundreds of promises, thousands of promises, and God says the answer is yes when you are in me and you love and following me. That's an amazing thing. Did you know that every single, oh, before I say that statement, there's a guy named George Mueller, and I've mentioned him a couple of times. He lived in the 1800s, and if you've never heard his name, I, I, I'm, I, don't, I don't question why. He's just an average guy. He was a totally ordinary guy. And George Mueller, nobody knew who he was, except George Mueller came to a place to say, God I am totally serious about you. And God, I am totally serious about your promises. And he began to claim promises in his life. And he began to see miracles after miracles after miracles after miracles. You read the story of George Mueller, you're stunned by him. Outside of first century, I've never heard of anybody that has experienced a life as blessed and miraculous as George Mueller. But in his own story, his own testimony, he said, there's nothing special except this. I decided to take God seriously. And I decided to take the promises of God seriously. And that's what trust actually is. So did you know that trust, all, oh, I keep wanting to go too fast. I noticed George Mueller took the promises of God and organized them into a booklet. I didn't know that he had done it. I just saw it this week. I printed it out yesterday because I like hard copies instead of screens. And so I do screens, but I like hard copies too. So I printed it out and here's what he did. He takes these pro all these promises of God and he categorizes them according to topic. When you need a promise of God for your marriage, here they are. When you need a promise from God for your provision, here they are. When you need it for fear, 
I'm struggling with fear. Here are the promises of God about fear. You need it for courage. Here are the promises of God. For peace, here is the promises of God. For problems that you have in your life and struggles, I need a promise from God. Here they are. And he lists them. It's an amazing thing. So that you can actually go to this table of contents and see the promises that affect your life right now. And I gave you the website. Just type it in and it'll take you right to the booklet. What promise does God have for me in this moment in my life with a situation that I'm facing? I'm going to claim this promise. And now it's ready for the word, the statement I've been trying to make now. Every promise has a condition to the promise. You got to meet the condition to the promise before you claim the promise by faith. So getting serious about the promise means I see the conditions and I meet them, I do them. And when you do the conditions to the promise, God says, the promise is yours. You might or might not have an amazing amount of talent, an amazing amount of money, an amazing amount of other resources. You might or might not, but I can tell you, you can learn to have an amazing amount of faith. And with an amazing amount of faith, it'll take you further than any other thing could take you. No matter who you are, just like Mueller, you can learn how to trust God and you can see what God will do in your life. Now, the question is this. I got to take seriously who God is, all the aspects of God. I got to take seriously a promise from God. Now, here's the last question, and we're done, and it's this. How do you grow this kind of trust in God? The first thing is to embrace the benefits of trusting God, and your faith will grow. The benefits. And the whole point of this is to say, I so want this. I so want what these benefits say that I'm willing to learn how to trust God. So what are the benefits? The first benefit is that my faith determines how much God blesses my life. Jesus said himself, Matthew 9, verse 29, according to your faith, be it done unto you. There was an elderly woman that lived in a little town and she didn't have a lot of, of uh, stuff and a lot of money. Oh, she loved God. She praised God and loved God. And so every morning she would actually go out on her front porch, she would raise her hands and she would pray out loud. Oh God, I love you. Oh God, thank you for a new day. And oh God, I bless your name. She would get out on the front porch and she would pray out loud. Living right next to her was an old man who was an atheist and was annoyed by every morning being woken up by a woman next door to him who is talking to God out loud. One morning, this elderly woman went out on her front porch and as she's praying, she's praying about a lot, oh God, I love you. And then she said, by the way, God, you know, I don't have any more food in my house. And God, I want to thank you in advance for the food you're going to give me today. I trust you and I claim that promise that you'll meet my need. Amen. And she went in to her house. 
Well, the old guy next door heard it and he thought, okay, this is my moment. He went to the grocery store and he bought two big bags of food and he went and put it right there on her front porch. He rang the doorbell and he ran around the house to hide. Out she comes and she says, oh God, look what you have done. Look how you have blessed me. Look at all this food you've given to me. Oh God, I honor you. And the guy came around the corner and said, I got you now. God did not buy that food for you. I bought that food for you. And then she turned back to God and said, God, you're even greater than I ever imagined. You gave me this food and you made the devil pay for it. God says to you, according to your faith, be it unto you. I think there are times we limit. We limit God in our life. There are things he wanted to do but we never trusted him for it. The second one is simply this. My faith is the key to impossible problems being solved in my life. Jesus said again, Matthew chapter 17, verse 20. If you have faith as small as a mustard seed, nothing will be impossible to you. A couple of days ago, Kathy and I were running around Sugarland. We went into a store and bought something and it was my job to go to the cashier and and pay for it that's a great arrangement in marriage I think so I went to the cashier and she was getting everything together and while she was I just said well how's life doing for you these days and she said to me terrible usually people don't admit it you know oh it's great but it's terrible but she just blurted it out, terrible. I said, I am so sorry. I said, I'm gonna tell you this, I'm promising you, I'm gonna be praying for you. And she said, I need that more right now than ever, thank you. Well, I prayed for her as I was walking to the car told Kathy about it and she's praying for her and yesterday I prayed for her this morning when I got up I prayed for her I don't know what she's going through but the way she said it it's one of those impossible things but Jesus said if you have faith even as small as a mustard seed which is the tiniest seed that exists nothing will be impossible for you The third benefit is that my faith builds my relationship with the God of the universe for crying out loud. You get to have a relationship with him, but without faith, it's impossible to please him. For he that comes and she that comes to God must believe that God is whom God says he is. And trust, faith will build that relationship. So the first thing that builds our faith is a want to. I want this in my life. It motivates us. The second thing that builds our faith is bring more of God's word into your life and your faith will grow. That's what the Bible is saying in Romans chapter 10, verse 17. So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. D.L. Moody is another one of those guys that was nobody, that nobody knew, nobody, it was just living an ordinary life. But he met God. He took God seriously. He took the promises of God seriously and he began to trust God in his life. And it is amazing how he used D.L. Moody in the 1800s. 
But this is a statement by D.L. Moody. He said, I prayed and I thought that someday faith would just come down and strike like lightning, but it didn't come. And he said, then one day I read Romans chapter 10, verse 17. For the first time I realized that if I wanted faith, I could get it by opening my Bible and applying what it says. And he said, I began to study it and faith has been growing ever since. You got to get in your Bible. I know you're busy, but you're not too busy for five minutes or 10 minutes or whatever in God's word and be hearing God and claiming and believing and trusting in what God tells you. You got to apply it to your life. Here's the third thing, and it's got to be fast. Begin responding correctly to tough times and your faith will grow. Romans chapter five, verse three to five says this. We can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials for we know that they're good for us. Now just stop for a moment. Really? Oh good, I have another problem. I know it's gonna be good for me. But that's what he is saying. When you come to understand what this whole five points stair step is, problems aren't the most awful things anymore. So listen to what he says. We can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials where we know that they are good for us. They help us learn how to be patient and patience develops strength of character in us and helps us trust God more each time. We use it until finally our hope and faith are strong and steady. So I want you very quickly to think of these as five steps, five steps, because there's five key words. And here's the first, problems. How many of you have ever had problems? It's like asking how many of you have ever breathed air? problems come and if you don't have any problems you're going to get some this afternoon or tomorrow so don't don't feel badly about it problems come constantly but this time you usually panic this problem is there oh no the world's coming to an end you you usually panic or you fall apart or you overreact but this time this time say That never got me anywhere, being afraid and overreacting and panicking. That never got me anywhere. So this time with this problem, I'm not going to panic. I don't have the slightest idea how how to fix this. But I'm not going to panic. I'm not going to overreact. There's a God in heaven, and he knows about this problem, and I know he knows it. I choose to be patient. Every time you make that statement about whatever problem just come that just, just came, you build patience in your life. And every time you build patience in your life, it grows character. That's the third step. The first step is problems. The second step is patience. The third one is character. And all character is, is who are you when no one's watching you? Who are you when no one's watching you? Are you a thief? Are you out of control morally? What level of character do you have when no one else is seeing you? That is actually who you are. That's your character. 
when problems come and I react in patience with God, it begins to grow my character. That's what he says. It begins to develop my character. And when I have my character developing, it actually helps me now to trust God. And when I trust God, it creates a confidence. Confidence is simply habitual trust. So grab this. This is what he's saying. Trust is in layers. And now here's a layer. A problem has come. You reacted correctly. You didn't panic. You, you didn't fall apart. You just said, okay, I don't know how to fix it. I don't know what's going to happen. But there's a God in heaven, and I trust him, and I'm going to be patient. And it changes who you are on the inside. It gives you the strength to now trust God for something you don't know how it's going to work out, but you're trusting God now for it. And you built a layer of trust, and then another layer of trust, and another layer of trust, and another layer of trust. And now you have built a confidence that you have never had before in God because a confidence is the end result of layer after layer after layer after layer of facing problems, not overreacting, building character, and trusting God in this moment. And it's pretty amazing what will happen as the end result. Now look, trying to be practical, you got. You got to take God seriously and a promise, seriously. I've shown you where to find the promises. And now it's up to you to say, how badly do I want this? How badly do I want this relationship? Do I want to see God move in my life? I'm going to get back in the word. I'm going to begin to act on the things he tells me. And as I live my life in problems, I'm going to learn a better way to respond. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the truth of your word. We need it. We're going to spend our whole life getting this thing together. But we're asking you to help us learn how to take a promise, meet the condition of it, trust you for it, act on it, and watch you move in our life. You're not going to make us into a George Mueller or, or anybody else. You're going to make us the best us. The best us we can be. And we want that life. Move in our heart, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.